What's up, everyone, and welcome to Mike Check. I'm your host, Mike Velasquez, and this is the podcast where we'll talk about all things fitness, wellness, rehab, and more importantly, the constant pursuit of knowing better in order to do better for the people that we serve. Now, without further ado, let's dive into today's episode. What's up, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Mike Check. I'm your host, Mike Velasquez, and today I'm excited to be joined by my fellow CrossFit 033 coach and Kitchen to Kilos founder, Jessica Gilmore. What's going on, Jess? How are you? Hey, Mike. I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. I'm just celebrating a a little bit of a different Memorial Day today, but, uh, you know, still taking the day off, but still working at the same time, so... I hear you. We just uh, finished Murph in our driveway. So nice. Very, very similar vibes going on here, but we're excited to kind of have a rest day today to relax from working. And also uh, happy birthday as well. Thank you. I'm celebrating another 25th birthday. <laughs> I won't, I won't tell people how old you actually are. I hear I- that's I hear that's rude to do for with women. Um, All right. So uh, why don't you start off just for anyone that, you know, may be uh, unaware of who you are or doesn't know you kind of quite as well as I know you um, just give a little bit of background information on kind of, you know, who you are as a coach as far as any certifications that you might have. And then um, you're an athlete as well. So a background, not only on, you know, what you did in college, but also kind of what you're doing now uh, athletically as well. Okay, sure. Absolutely. So uh, as you said, I'm a fellow CrossFit 033 coach. Um, I have my CrossFit level one and my CrossFit level two. Um, And I coach pretty much full time um, over at 033. I'm in there about 40 to 45 hours a week between CrossFit coaching and personal training. Um, On top of that, I do have uh, personal trainer certification. I also have my USAW sports performance coach, which is what USAW gets for weightlifting. Um, <clears throat> nutrition wise, I've done precision nutrition. I've done work against gravity certification. So I'm a certified nutrition coach. Um, and then kind of getting a little bit into my background. So you know how I got here. Um, in college, I played three years of varsity soccer. Uh, unfortunately, my senior year ended with a ankle reconstruction. So that season was kind of cut short. Um, but after I recovered from that, I did four years of competitive running. So I was an endurance athlete for a little bit. Um, you know, your usual, your 10 Ks, half marathons, marathons. I did that through law school. Um, so I did that quite for quite a while, actually, until I got pregnant. Um, and, um, you know, on that topic, I am a, a mom of two and now a CrossFitter and weightlifter. Um, although CrossFit has taken a little bit of a backseat while I competitively do weightlifting. Um, about two years ago, this past January, I started competing as a weightlifter. Um, and then just this past December kind of entered the national circuit for weightlifting competitions. Um, so that's, that's kind of a quick summary of who I am and how I got here. Yeah, definitely. Uh, been, you know, gone through a lot of different, you know, certifications and, you know, having a history, you know, in college athletics and still maintaining, you know, competitiveness, you know, whether it's CrossFit or weightlifting, um, something you glazed over quickly, but I think, you know, give yourself some credit for also going through law school and, um, still having an active, uh, law license, correct? Yeah. So yeah, I, uh, graduated from William and Mary down in Virginia in <clears throat> 2012, I guess. Yes. Yeah, 2012, eight years ago now. 
Um, and I practice as a lawyer for a little bit. Uh, I'm licensed in Connecticut, New York, and randomly Tennessee. That is random. That's a fun fact. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Awesome. So, you know, I think one of the, you know, first things that we'll, we'll talk about, um, especially, you know, now that I'm a practicing physical therapist and you kind of brought it up um, earlier as well, um, that you had some experience with an injury, unfortunately, in college. Um, so why don't you give uh, me a little bit of a background and the listeners a background on kind of what experiences you've had with PT in the past um, and, you know, how that's changed, you know, over the course of time um, with any, any other injuries that you've had in, you know, whether it's CrossFit weightlifting or anything else, um, and kind of give me your, your um, journey through any sort of PT experience you've had. Sure. So, um, obviously, like I mentioned, I had a ankle reconstruction in college, um, during the PT from, from that reconstruction, it was, I was not going back to a competitive sport. So it was kind of just to get me back to a functioning, um, getting me back at, basically I was in a, on a cast for about six months. So it was just getting me back to kind of normal life, being able to walk, drive, do all of my the basic things I needed to do. Um, and I, I don't have a great memory of that, but I mean, not as in, it wasn't bad, but just not real clear because it's been a while. Um, but more recently, um, I had surgery on my shoulder. So I had a bicep tenodesis. I had work done to my rotator cuff. Um, and I had repairs done to my labrum. Um, and after that, I started kind of physical therapy, um, locally. And it was not a bad experience at all. I had a great physical therapist, but one thing that kind of stuck with me is I'd spent a lot of time explaining my sport to the therapist. So he, he learned a lot about, uh, clean and jerks. He learned a lot about snatching. He was very open to it and excited to do it, but it was a lot of time in therapy of me teaching him how to do these movements. So he could kind of get a grasp on how he could help me get back to the movements. Um, and he never actually saw me do the movements. One point we borrowed dumbbells from a gym next door, like heavy dumbbells, because he had some light ones. We borrowed some heavy dumbbells from a gym next door so he could watch me snatch a dumbbell. Um, and then often I snatched a broomstick that was tied to a band. We tried all sorts of things to mimic my training and we never really got there. Um, so most of my rehab from that shoulder surgery ended up taking place in the gym. And just learning how to get back into my movements slowly, carefully on my own. Um, and the, the, you know, I'm, I'm happy that my rehab was good and that I'm where I am. Sometimes I look back and wonder whether I wanted, would have had that surgery again if, if I had a PT um, like I do have access to now. Um, but I'm glad that, you know, my shoulder is, is in good shape and I'm still able to do the sport I love to do. And I'm glad that I had a PT who was willing to learn with me. Uh, just would have been really helpful if he had known my sport beforehand. And that kind of ties into more recently in uh, October of 2018, I had a knee injury. Um, basically, I had just started working with a new national coach and he kind of threw me in the rings and was hoping to qualify me early for nationals. And my volume went from 90 minute training sessions to double sessions, three hour training sessions. Um, basically I was peaking all the time trying to get what I, numbers I needed to, to qualify. And 
one day squat cleaning, I felt my knee do something funky. And then the next day I knew it wasn't feeling good to walk. So um, did a little bit of rehab with it, but actually I went to see um, your friend, Ryan. And this was the first time that I got there for my very first session. And he walked me out into the CrossFit gym. I saw him in a CrossFit gym, which was cool. And he walked me out and said, okay, let's see you clean. Um, and he had me, I put on my lifters, I taped up my thumbs and we loaded the barbell and I actually got to clean fairly heavy for the day, which was really cool. Cause I'd never had a PT watch me do my sport. Um, and before I had gone to him, I was terrified because every doctor I'd seen said it was a meniscus tear. There was nothing they could do without surgery. Um, they were, prescribing MRIs. Um, I didn't have enough. I didn't have any money to spend on an imaging, um, no x-rays. I really didn't want to just, I didn't have the money to spend. Um, so when I walked in and Ryan quickly told me, you don't need surgery. Let's work through this one thing at a time. Um, he started adjusting my volume first and foremost. Like we, you know, we took out things that weren't working for me at the time, or we just scaled them back significantly he helped me write rehab into my programming. So I was doing it every day um, and I was getting to move again every day. And then he actually worked personally with a new coach because I was now no longer working with that old coach. He worked personally with my new coach to get my programming to match my, you know, where I was along with my rehab. And I saw him starting in November of 2018. And it was really cool because by April of 2019, I was competing again. And I actually brought my total within three or four kilos of my old best total. So I was right back where I thought I would not be for a long time and there was no surgery involved. Um, so it definitely changed the way I approach therapy, physical therapy and the way I will approach it going forward if I deal with injuries. Um, I learned really quickly that training shouldn't be stopped. You know, He didn't stop me from squatting we adjusted from regular front squats to eccentric and pause squats because those weren't painful. So we didn't have to stop all these things. We just had to adjust them. And he actually taught me a lot about assessing my pain during the training. Was it pain that I could work through or should work through? Or was it pain that called for me to stop? Um, a lot of checking in with myself 24 hours later, seeing where I stood from a training the day before. Um, and, he kind of helped me get to the point where I could make these assessments for myself and know when I'm in a bad spot and know when I need to back off and know when I need to, and I can kind of push through the pain. And I know through a lot of conversations, even with you, I've learned about kind of different management of pain for people with different priorities and goals right now, um, you know, pre quarantine, I was trying to compete nationally this month, actually. So I was trying to get to nationals this month, and that meant I was a little bit more pushing through and training with some pain and managing my pain as much as best I could. Um, whereas somebody who I'm just training, um, you know, some of my personal training clients who just want to get stronger and get through their daily life, may not I may not have them push through that same amount of pain. Um, so he kind of taught me a lot about my goals and how that relates to the kind of pain I'm training through. Um, so I, I have a different approach now as a coach and a personal trainer and even a nutrition coach to who I push, you know, can push through a little bit of pain, who can train through pain. But biggest thing I've learned is we never stop training. 
because of pain. You know, we just kind of adjust it. Um, so it's been a huge change for me, probably really since, you know, like I said, fall of 2018, it's really reshaped how I look at rehab and personal era and physical therapy in general and how I help my clients deal with it. And obviously myself. Yeah, I think you brought up a lot of awesome things, um, within that, you know, quick history of your experience with physical therapy and, I think one of the, you know, I had a similar experience with my first experience of physical therapy in that I was using a dowel with uh, an ankle weight wrapped around it um, to snatch in the clinic and having to basically, you know, teach my physical therapist at the time who, again, I had a great relationship with, but, um, you know, showing him a lot of the different movements that I wanted to get back to and needed to get back to because I was a full-time coach at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I definitely, um, understand where you're coming from, from that experience. Um, you know, it's, I'm glad that, you know, you were able to, you know, find the right people to work through, especially as you've become, uh, more competitive now. And as a, as a weightlifter, um, being able to, you know, not only find someone who doesn't just say, Oh, you know, you do CrossFit or Olympic weightlifting and say, Oh, that's, that's terrible for you. You shouldn't do that. Uh, but also, you know, someone who provides you with, with education to the point where you now have tangible things that you can, that you left with and you can reflect back on instead of just going to someone and they, you know, quote unquote, fix you. And then you're kind of, you know, on your own until, you know, you you might end up back there and then, you know, you, because you didn't know what to do and how to handle things on your own. Um, but thankfully it sounds like you, you know, had some, some good experiences with some good physical therapists who were open to learning um, and also just understand the importance of patient education because now, you know, f- from just hearing you speak, you definitely took away some, some great things from the people that you've worked with. Yeah, and honestly, like, it made me really aware of the amount of fear-mongering that goes on. Um, as somebody who doesn't know a whole lot um, about physical therapy, as you know, I'm not a physical therapist, Um, I was seeing, you know, different people when I injured my knee and even with low back pain. And there was times when I was told that, you know, I wouldn't lift again. Um, I know, you know, I've talked to you a little bit about some low back stuff that somebody found on an x-ray and basically told me I was done with my sport, even though I was having no back pain. Um, So I, I kind of became very sensitive to, like I said, the fear mongering and and all of that stuff. And I learned that I need to be a little bit more educated myself uh, and not just take what everyone says, you know, for granted, just because they carry a certain license or certification. Yeah, I've definitely, you know, remember my experiences getting some of those text messages from you and, you know, initially just reading that and I get really triggered when I, when I read those things. And and thankfully, you know, you do message me because then we can kind of have a discussion on, you know, what those things may or may not mean. And, you know, at the end of the day, I try to remind myself that people are hopefully, you know, providing this education or or recommendations out of, um, you know, from a good place, but, you know, whether it's just that, you know, they're not continuing to, to read up on the recent research with, you know, um, you know, findings on, on imaging that may just be due to a normal part of the aging process and not necessarily be, you know, an abnormality or something that causes pain, um, or, you know, people that, you know, just, you know, if you're having an episode of low back pain, they're saying, Oh, well, you know, you're probably not going to be able to do your sport that you love anymore. 
you know, I, I want to think that those things come from a good place and, and I hope that they do, but I, I just think that, you know, as a, as a profession, as, as a whole that, you know, in physical therapy that we need to do a lot better in that regard and actually not just physical therapy, a lot of other, um, medical professionals as well. Um, but I think, you know, we're slowly heading in the right direction. Um, but you know, it, I'm glad to hear that you were able to to work with and, you know, meet some, some physical therapists that, you know, were able to help you out and get you back to, you know, where you are now. Um, you know, one of the reasons that I initially kind of asked you to be on the podcast with me, because I know that you've helped me myself, but also, uh, you know, a lot of other people that I know with their um, nutrition. Um, so, you know, as a, as a nutrition coach, you know, one of the things that I kind of wanted to talk to you about was a little bit of kind of possibly some similarities between, you know, just being a coach in general, you know, whether it's CrossFit or weightlifting or being a physical therapist and working with patients, kind of the, I would say the biopsychosocial nature of, of those interactions and how, you know, I feel like we're, you know, we're almost more in the behavior, uh, behavior change kind of profession as opposed to, um, you know, kind of in the, in the fixing uh, profession. So maybe we can talk a little bit about, you know, how maybe your coaching styles have, have changed over the years. And, you know, it, is it more, do you also kind of see that it's more than just, you know, giving someone a, a prescription of, of macronutrients to hit and that's it, or, or is it a lot more than that? Um, you know, that's, it's funny because, and I still watch uh, fresh L1s come into like, you know, the CrossFit gym and they come in with, their ideas on the virtuous air squat and they're ready to, you know, teach it and, and they're ready to spill their knowledge onto a group of people who's not always ready to receive it. And I was no different when I came out of my L1 or even my L2. I just felt like I had all this new knowledge and I just wanted to give it to everyone. And I didn't always understand why it wasn't being received. And it's the same thing with my nutrition coaching. Um, that didn't start off any differently a couple years ago when I started it. I basically just, you know, sucked up all the science I could, spit it back at my clients and then expected them to follow it. And I just kept seeing kind of, you know, so, you know, I had the occasional person who was appreciative of the knowledge and wanted to soak it all up like myself. But then I had other people who were like, why, why should I listen to you? Um, I also don't feel like dieting. Like I know I wanted to diet a, a week ago, but I've changed my mind. I don't feel like doing it anymore. This is hard. Same thing in the gym, getting somebody through a workout. Like this is hard. I don't want to do it the way you're telling me to. So I had to like really backtrack and look at the way I was approaching this stuff and realizing I can't just spit the science at these people. Um, I can't just, you know, tell them about their carbohydrate absorption and why they need protein and, or I can't just tell them why they need to take weight off the bar and learn how to move this differently. Um, I had to look at how do I get my clients in the gym and in nutrition to trust me and to trust what I'm telling them. Um, and how do I get them to do things when they're hard, right? How do I get them through a workout when that's hard? Or how do I get them to stick, you know, really nutrition is, is dieting really hard. It's not forgiving. And I, I need to figure out a way to how do I get them to do this hard thing all the time with me and trust me. Um, and this year, I really redirected my studying to emotions, motivation, discipline. Um, like you said, a lot of focusing on how to change behaviors that have actually nothing to do with eating. 
more just how do how do we regulate our emotions and our discipline and and our motivation and make it work through us for us um so i looked at kind of different ways i could support my clients and it ended up being a lot more life coaching and therapy esque than i first expected going in which was a really hard transition for me because I was one of those people who, when you gave me a set of macros or you gave me a program, um, even though you may disagree from time to time, I deviated. But for the most part, I would do what I was told to do and I could do what I was told to do. So when I was having clients who were not following the program and then not getting the results, I didn't really know how to help them. I kind of was like, well, you either do the program or not. And I realized there's a lot more to nutrition coaching than that. And I could really help people more if I was willing to work with those people who weren't ready to follow the program yet. Um, so I've been studying a lot the impact of emotions on cognitive function and like their perception of how things are going for them. And specifically, um, emotions and stress and all those things on people's ability to make decisions when, when things are hard. So for example, when you're, you know, at the end of the day, you're feeling really angry or exhausted, um, stressed, you're standing in front of the fridge, are you going to choose the grilled chicken and broccoli or are you going to choose the cupcake? And most of the time, people choose the cupcake when certain emotions and kind of stress is at play. So I had to figure out a way to support them through these decision-making moments that I wasn't there for and help them co-regulate their emotions. So what could I do with them that would help them get the outcomes we wanted, even when I'm not standing with them, smacking their hand away from the cupcake. Um, and so with that, I kind of really explored why people start with me in the first place. And I came to this place of like extrinsic and intrinsic motivation. And I learned a lot of people, if I ask them why they want to do this, they'll say like, uh, you know, I, I have a vacation in March. And I used to say, okay, let's work towards that vacation in March. And then over time, I realized I needed something deeper from them. They didn't come to me because they have a vacation in March. They came to me because they're not comfortable in their body right now. Um, they're not comfortable in photos with their children right now. There's really a lot more emotional stuff at play than just they have to put on a bathing suit on the beach in a couple weeks. Um, so something was important enough for these people to come to me, to trust me with their money, to trust me with their time. And I wanted to make sure that we were actually uncovering it as opposed to kind of glossing over it with some, you know, made up plan of, you know, I just want to lose 10 pounds. Okay. So this 10 pounds is really often an arbitrary number and there's a lot more to it. And when you start to dig into it with people, there's way more, you know, they're often feeling sad, they're feeling depressed, they're feeling lonely, they're feeling undesirable to their partner. Um, all of these things play into their decisions that they're making and why we're starting this in the first place. And these things are the stuff that make it really easy for us to refer back to why we started in the first place. So when everything gets really tough, that's the kind of stuff that I have to bring people back to as opposed to their vacation in March. That's usually not enough. Um, so I do a lot of exercises now, you know, where I used to skip all this stuff and just spit macros at people. Now I spend a lot more time on exercises that bring them back to this why. You know, we do like a, a thing I call the five layer exercise where I make them get really specific and really deep and open up. I do a lot more journaling, meditation with my clients, um, stuff that I never would have touched two years ago is basically the stuff I'm spitting out more than ever because I've learned that when I implement it in my own life, it makes a huge difference. So 
I kind of glossed it over as being like, you know, hippie stuff. And I wasn't going to sit on the couch and meditate. Um, and now I recognize that it's really a stress management tool to help me control my discipline and my decision-making later. So I have more energy to dedicate to the stuff that's important to me. Um, so we do a lot more, like I said, these exercises, we work together to manage these obstacles. We work together to prepare. So if I know that you're seeing somebody who's going to trigger you emotionally at an event, for example, I, you know, recently I had a client who's seeing an ex at a wedding and she knew that was going to trigger her to drink and overeat. So we made a plan ahead of time to deal with this. What are we going to do when we see this person? How is it going to feel? How can we manage this feeling so that it doesn't sabotage our goals, but it helps us work toward our goals? Um, and so it's a lot more preparing people, getting them in a spot where they can recognize the emotion that's coming and they can take the steps to regulate that emotion to, so it doesn't derail them. It kind of keeps pushing them along towards their goal. That makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I think finding people's, you know, not just their, their superficial, if you will, why, but really that deep, deeper meaning, even if it takes, you know, a few, you know, questions and attempts to really get down to, to what that is, is, is super important. And something that I think I've also changed recently since, you know, I was a first, you know, new coach to where I am now. And I think going back to school had a lot to do with it where, you know, whether it was, a client that just wasn't, you know, heeding my advice on, you know, what weight to use for a workout. Um, or, you know, even, you know, I've only been practicing for about a year, but, you know, originally when someone wasn't, you know, performing their home exercise program at, at home, you know, it's, it's easy to just be like, yeah, well, you know, that's not on me, that's on them. But at the end of the day, it's on us as well because we're not making that important to them because maybe we didn't get to that real reason why at the beginning and they don't really see why scaling this workout to make sure they hit the appropriate stimulus or doing their home exercise program is going to help them achieve their their why or you know the reason that they came to you in the first place and you know I think that's been a huge change for myself and, and it's awesome to hear kind of your, your discovery with that as well. And, you know, kind of going from, you know, you just want to learn and I'm similar in the way that, you know, I get really excited by some of that stuff. So I just kind of want to, you know, have people listen to it and absorb it all too. But I think, you know, you, I, you spoke to the fact that, you know, not everyone wants that. Some people get super interested with that stuff and, and want to hear what you have to say, but other people just, you know, don't care. Um, and that's fine. Uh, because they don't have to, it may not have, you know, anything to do with, you know, their, their, you know, their day-to-day -day life. They just kind of want help with, you know, nutrition or something like that. And they don't really care about the science behind it. They just, you know, want someone to help them achieve their goals. Um, and then, you know, I, I think we're also similar in the way where like, if you give me, you know, a set of, a set of macros and I'm really, you know, focused in on, on my goal that I'm going to follow those to a T, um, you know, hashtag like triple zero life, you know, I'll, I'll go hard and, and hit my, hit my numbers, but you know, not everyone kind of is like that. And, you know, that's also been another thing that, you know, probably why I asked you to help me originally was because I was using, you know, I first learned about, you know, counting macros, if you will, like, I don't know, probably five years ago or so. And, um, I think I'd, at one point I used a, a company called avatar nutrition, which is just like an online tracking where I would just enter my weight and, you know, my goals. Um, and they would just kind of spit 
uh, macros at me. And, and that worked. I think I had some good results from it, but at the end of the day, you know, I was like, when you started offering this, this service, I was like, Jess knows me. She knows a lot more about me than a computer does, even though it has this fancy algorithm. I can message her when, you know, whether, when I was in school and just being like, you know, this is a tough week. And I was at my, you know, clinical placements and my activity levels changed and my training volume wasn't the same. You know, I could just relay that to you and, and you were able to make those adjustments. Um, so I think, you know, having that connection with someone is hugely important. It's, and it goes way beyond just having someone spit macros at you, like you said. Yeah. And I think the, like the thing about what we both do is, you know, the program works, right? You know, if they stick to this, they'll get closer to what they're trying to achieve, but the program's useless if they don't trust you enough to actually apply it to their, to their lives. So what you're doing isn't actually valuable until you convince the person that it's valuable to them. So I think that's kind of the hurdle, like you said, that you, you have to get over with people and you have to find that connection so that they trust you and they believe that what you're giving them is valuable um, or else what you get really isn't worth anything. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that kind of segues into, you know, the next thing that I wanted to talk to you about is, you know, as much as even though there might be a, you know, I might think that this home exercise program is eventually going to get someone, to, you know, closer to their goals or, you know, an initial set of, of macros for someone will help someone get closer to their goals, that there's a lot of trial and error with this stuff too. So, you know, how, and unfortunately, you know, we live in a society where people want things yesterday. So, you know, how, how do you deal with that? You know, either as, you know, training your, your personal training clients or, you know, as a, as a nutrition coach, how do you deal with, you know, people and letting them know that, you know, it's not going to be an overnight thing and this is going to take some time and it's really, you know, more about consistency than anything. You know, how do you go about having that discussion with someone and, and getting them to, to see that it's not going to be an immediate thing? Uh. So, you know, as, as you probably experience a lot, um, like you said, people come in and they're just ready to see the results right away. Um, after one session with you, for example, I want my knee to feel better the next day so I can go back to my normal routine. Um, or for when they come in with me, they want, you know, within a month or within a week, really, they want to see, you know, I've been sticking to the diet. I've done it for a week. Why have, have the pounds come off? Um, and it really comes down to, can I give them a quick fix? A lot of times I can give them a quick fix. Um, I can put a Band-Aid on the problem and I can give them, you know, this person, I can give them a thousand calorie diet a day and they will see the weight come off. They'll also feel awful. They won't be able to maintain strength. They'll be very tired, grumpy, but yes, the weight will come off. It'll be a quick fix. They'll be where they want to be at the end of the month. Um, but the problem is more likely than not, that weight will come back. They'll be back where they started within three or four months. And that's the biggest thing with dieting is um, close to 90% of people rebound up to that initial weight after the diet is over. So if I'm not making a change to their lifestyle and their way of living and, and really getting into habits and behavior changes, then what I'm doing is not worth anything except the temporary time that they spend with me. Um, so 
to get those immediate results, yeah, I could give them something really quick. We could put a bandaid on the problem. But if I know it's not sustainable, I know I'm not giving them anything valuable because they're going to need me. And the whole point of what I do is to put myself out of business, right? It's for them to not need me and hopefully new people to need me. Um, But I don't want the people I work with to have to come back to me. You know, I mean, obviously I have my competitive athletes or people who stick with me just because the comfort of having a nutrition coach. Um, But for my most part, my goal is for people to be able to move on and live their lives and manage their own nutrition. And the trick to that is not a quick fix. It's not the Band-Aid. It's not, you know, the fad diet that knocks the weight off in a month that they're going to gain back. Um, And it's also not that they have a poor quality of life while they're doing this diet. I like to make sure that they're finding a way that you can have great nutrition and you can control your calorie intake and your nutrient intake and you can still enjoy your life. Um, And so I, you know, I implement like the flexible dieting to a degree in that I want people to learn to integrate their nutrition into their lives, to learn to go to a barbecue and have a hamburger but not fall so completely off the wagon that afterwards they have, you know, two slices of cake, a hot dog, a bowl of mac and cheese, and, um, you know, whatever, whatever else they see on the table. So it's kind of about finding that balance so that this system and this program that we put into place, whether they choose to continue counting macros really specifically or they just choose to use other methods I give them, um, it's something they can continue to do for the rest of their lives. Um, and they can incorporate healthy nutrition into everything they do and then those people around them. Um, so it's not ever a quick fix, but I think I would be doing a disservice to them by skipping all the stuff that that is really valuable long-term to them. So I don't do the quick fix and it does lose me clients initially out of the gate. And I have kind of come to terms with that, that those aren't the people that I'm a good match for. There's you know other systems out there that are good matches for those people. Um, but I, I definitely focus on these long-term results and I encourage people to look at the slow progress as progress, any type of weight loss, or even sometimes weight maintaining over a holiday or an event is progress, um, for us. So any progress is good progress. It doesn't have to be lightning fast and it doesn't always come at the speed they want it to. It doesn't always come at the speed I want it to, um, but it's maintainable. And if they are consistent over time. And, and, you know, it can also be weight gain, even for some people, you know, shout out Toby, who, you know, can eat an aisle of a grocery store and then lose a pound. Yeah, Yeah, it's not not fun to live with that kind of person. I'll tell you that right now. (laughs) But, you know, at at the same time, you know, for, you know, you know, quick detour, you know, talking to, you know, someone that's a competitive athlete who, you know, needs to maybe put on some, some extra weight as far as being able to, to compete at a higher level in, in a sport like CrossFit, where there's a lot of different, um, types of, you know, there's gymnastics training, there's weightlifting involved, there's you know, powerlifting, there's, you know, aerobic activity. There, there's a whole lot of, of things that you need to be good at. So being able to have a diet that sustains that too, it's, it's, you know, it's tough to, to, you know, have a, if your goal is to gain weight, to actually put on good quality weight um, so that it's useful to, to an athlete like that. So, um, you know, I didn't want Toby to feel left out in that it's only it's weight true. loss or weight maintenance. 
it's true. I do. I do have a good, actually a good amount of people who do, um, do some weight gain training right now. I actually just did, uh, I, after I finished competing in AO finals, I did my first true, um, bulking cycle. I was, I mean, you know, compete as a 55 kilo lifter. I was weighing into my meats at 54, um, which is a full kilo under and not ideal. So basically my weightlifting coach sent me home to eat a bunch of tacos as he put it and squat a lot. Um, I didn't actually eat a bunch of tacos, but I did squat a lot. Um, and at that point I recognized that I wasn't, um, managing my own nutrition because there's a whole different kind of world as a female trying to put on weight. And there's different obstacles that females overcome, which is a kind of an important thing to consider. I'm sure you deal with when you're looking at your clients, you can't just prescribe everyone the same thing and think they're kind of going to take it in with me. I have to be very careful with my males and my females and how they see themselves. You know, a lot of time my males see themselves as not um, looking or appearing strong enough. And I have females who kind of see themselves as not wanting to put on too much weight. And even I found that when I came up against this, I wasn't immune to it. So for me to put on two kilos, which didn't, or three kilos actually, which doesn't seem like a lot, felt like a lot to me. So I went out and hired my own nutrition coach, recognizing that my emotional and uh, just my emotions were impacting my decision making. And um, I think weight gain is just a really, it's a whole different topic that I could talk about for hours because um, it's such a fun area. But people kind of confuse weight gain. It doesn't mean you get to eat like a birthday cake every night. It means that like sometimes you're having spoonfuls of olive oil, as Toby can test to. <laughs> Um, or you're eating an entire avocado, or you're eating just a giant bowl of rice. Um, it's not always glorious as it sounds. So, um, yeah, there's there's a whole different world um, for performance athletes depending on their goals. Uh, it's definitely not limited to just people kind of getting ready for their vacations or wanting to knock off some pounds, um, which is actually what I love about this is I work with people who want to lose a couple pounds because they want to look better in pictures, and I work with athletes who – want to enhance their performance and don't care what numbers on the scale or people who just want to see number go up on the scale. It's just, there's a ton of different ways you can go with your nutrition and it impacts so much um, that it's really kind of cool to look at, like you said, not leave out the, the weight gainers in the world. Yeah, absolutely. Not everyone's lucky to have that problem, but it is a problem. So, <laughs> you know, I feel you, Toby. I mean, well, I don't have that problem, but uh, so I don't really feel you, but <laughs> I understand that it can be difficult. Um, but, you know, one of the things before we, you know, actually go to, to another topic, you brought up something that was hugely important. And, you know, I think we're actually drawing on more parallels between, you know, what we, what we do um, than, than I originally even thought is, you know, you brought up, you know, wanting to essentially put yourself out of, out of a job, I guess, if you will, you know, and kind of render yourself useless to a certain point, which, you know, at, a, at the end of the day, you know, maybe isn't the best business model, but, you know, you have to be able to, you know, sleep at night knowing that you're giving people the the right recommendations and not just kind of taking their money and giving them what they want. Um, and, you know, a lot of times, especially the way that, you know, a lot of my treatment philosophies are, are based where I'm, you know, I'm not one that's going to slap that bandaid on there and just give them the quick fix. You know, we're going to have discussions about, you know, what's, 
you know, the actual, you know, what's the, you know, timeline as far as prognosis that we're dealing with, um, you know, what, you know, they're the ebbs and flows of the process that, that they can expect to experience. Um, so, you know, it, again, at the end of the day, I do essentially want to put myself out of a job and to the point where I don't want someone to rely on me and have to, to need to come see me if they're dealing with some sort of pain or injury. I want them to hopefully, if I do my job correctly, have the education and, you know, be empowered enough to be like, oh, like, you know, I have dealt with this before. You know, Mike taught me the things to do. And, you know, now I can put that to practice for myself. I don't necessarily need to go see him right away. Uh, you know, not to say that if they have an issue with something else that they can't come see me, I'm obviously going to be more than happy to help them in that case. But I don't want them to, you know, every time that something comes up that they need to run and see me, you know, I'm not trying to have lifelong, you know, patients that come see me every week, twice a week for the rest of their lives. Like that's not what I'm about. And, you know, from the sound of it, that's not what you're about either. Um, yeah. You know, I actually, I have clients who I work with, um, for three months and then they go off on their own. And then, you know, four or five months later, they come back. And when they come back, I don't, look at it as a win. Like, yeah, they're using me again. I look at it as like, what went wrong during these five months that you couldn't continue using the plan that we had implemented? Where did I not give you enough information? Where did I not give you enough education or where did I not help you manage it well enough that you couldn't do this? Or why couldn't you bring back the, the plan that we had used the first time on your own? And sometimes it's as simple as, um, you know, the thing I can go back to with nutrition coaching is sometimes people just need the accountability. Um, and I'm no different. You know, I just like to have a connection with my coach and I like the accountability of reporting to somebody. And if that's all they need me for, um, then I'm happy to be that accountability person. If I'm actually failing them and that they don't understand how to implement this plan on their own, or they're just not able to, then I have to look at how I'm communicating with them and where I'm kind of missing the mark in giving them the tools they need to do it on their own. So, you know, I love, like I, I've had clients who've been with me for over two years now um, and they stay with me because they like the accountability. They like to reach out to me after, like you said, a stressful week. Um, they like to re reach out to me when their training changes. They just like the constant adjustments to their plan and they like to have somebody to connect with. Um, and I love to have those people. And I, you know, I, I, stick with them as long as they want to stick with me. But the people whose goal it is to, to not work with me anymore, I want to help them get to that point. And when they don't get to that point, I definitely want to consider what I did that failed to help them do that or what, whatever they needed that I didn't provide to them. Um, and so, yeah, the, my goal is, like I said, for them to eventually not need me, um, which like, like you mentioned is not the best business model, but Honestly, that's why I got into the, this profession was to help people. And I'm not helping people if I'm making them reliant on me. Um, and I think that, you know, that's one thing I, I initially learned with you and, and even with Ryan, when I, you know, I send people to you, you know, a lot of times I send my athletes to you because I know you won't require them to come in three or four times a week. You'll you take a look at what you need. You assess together how often you need to see them. And you won't make them reliant on you. You know, you work with me as a, a coach and a programmer to get them back to where they can manage it themselves on their own and in their own training. And I think that's ideally what we all would be doing. 
it's not what I've, all professionals are doing, but it's ideally what we would all be doing is letting these people kind of manage their own lives and manage their own difficulties. But, you know, that doesn't always happen, but it'd be good. Yeah, definitely. I, you know, one day I, I want that sort of communication that, you know, we thankfully have, um, you know, when, when we're working with, you know, if you refer someone to me, you know, basically I want to get them back to a point where they're just working with you again and doing their normal training, you know, as fast as, as I can. Um, and then knowing that if something comes up where, you know, we end up having to take, you know, a step or two back that you can just, you know, we can communicate about that and say, okay, well, you know, they don't need to come see me again, but you know, try this, um, and then see how that works. And, and, you know, if that works and then they don't have to come see me, then that's great. Um, but you know, essentially I, I hope that that communication becomes more of a thing down the line, because I think that that's definitely a missed opportunity for, for both, you know, coaches and, and clinicians there to not have that, uh, those open lines of communication. Um, I guess, you know, since, you know, there's a lot of, you know, misinformation, I think in, in, in both of our fields, um, you know, what would you say if you had to pick three, which I'm sure will make it hard, um, because if you were to spin on this and, and put it on me for as far as rehab is considered, I'd, I'd probably have difficulty just picking three. Um, but what would you say are kind of the three biggest nutrition uh, misconceptions that you commonly deal with? Um, yeah, this is definitely tough because there's so many, um, like you said, especially surrounding food, there's so many. Um, but if I had to narrow it down, I'd say the first time, first thing I usually butt heads with people over, um, is when I have a client say, I will only lose weight if I eat a thousand calories a day. And, um, it's usually a shocker for people when I tell them how many calories they're actually eating on average in order to maintain, or if they're gaining weight, how much they're actually eating. Um, and I've had clients find out, you know, they tell me they're reporting at 1200 calories a day. But I say, in order for you to keep maintaining the weight you're at, you're at least eating 2,300 calories a day. So it's finding that gap between what they think they're eating and what they're actually eating um, is usually kind of that first misconception that happens. And that takes a while to break that one, um, for sure. My clients don't want to eat the amount of calories I give them usually. I usually give them too much food. Um, and so it's really hard to convince people that they're not actually eating 1200 calories a day and sitting at the weight they're at. Um, and there's so many things around that, right? There's thyroids and there's, there's these nutrition coaches convincing people that their metabolism has gone to sleep and they need to be woken up again. Right. And you can only have a nutrition coach do that. Um, it's really convincing people that none of that stuff is actually happening, that they really are just misunderstanding how much food they're eating. Um, and which is really common. So that's probably my first um, misconception that I deal with a lot. The second one is when people assign um, some type of moral uh, code to food. So I only eat good carbs or I only eat bad carbs um, is the biggest one. And I tell people, they're like, well, I only eat good carbs. At the end of the day, a carb is a carb, right? It's four calories um, so at, per gram of carbs. So whether you eat that in the form of a sweet potato or a marshmallow, it's still the same amount of carbs. It still turns into sugar. Um, so you don't just get unlimited access to your, your good carbs. Um, 
And I hate people to classify food as good and bad because like I said, food's not moral. It's just calories. Um, and so you don't have to have, you know, I, I love marshmallows. I made it some more last night. I fit it into my macros and no, was it the best source of energy? Did it have as many micronutrients as a sweet potato? It didn't, but it's not a bad carb in that sense. Um, sugar is often great for athletes during training because it's a fast source of energy for them. Whereas something like a sweet potato takes longer to break down. So it's kind of breaking that cycle of classifying food as good and bad because it really can harm people's relationship with food in general. Um, so that's, that would be number two. And then number three, and the one that drives me crazy is people thinking they can outwork a poor diet. Um, you have people in the gym doing like two to three workouts a day and then just eating whatever they want and not understanding why the weight's not coming off. And I've even, as a personal trainer, this is why I got into nutrition coaching. It made me crazy that my clients would come in twice a week and not understand why they weren't losing weight. And that's because you can't, you can't outwork a poor diet. There's only so much you can do in the gym. Um, that old saying that abs are made in the kitchen, as much as I hate hearing it, it's so true. Um, because 80 to 85% of your physique is dependent on what you're putting in your mouth and your, that weight, that number on the scale. So you can't just go in and train for hours on end and expect your physique to match it. Um, you know, you see, think of, you know, all the time people who are running long distance races or people who you, you see them in the CrossFit gym, people who are training really hard and their body's not reflecting that. It's because there's nothing you can do if the food you're putting in your mouth isn't kind of supporting your goals. So those are definitely my, my top three. If you're going to force me to narrow it down to three, those. (laughs) I know that's, that, that's definitely a a tough challenge I gave you, but um, you know, I think again, kind of drawing even some more parallels is I'm glad to hear that it's, you know, the thyroid is also something that apparently can, can fall asleep. And um, you know, I don't know if it gets, you know, amnesia to the level that the glutes do apparently. Um, But it's, you know, I, I hadn't heard that one before. So that was, that's something new for me. Um, but yes, the, the glutes apparently forget how to do what they do and aren't turned on or turned off, you know, much like a light switch. Um, so, you know, that was something that immediately jumped out at me. And then I think the other is kind of something that seems to happen a lot is that people, you know, dichotomize things into good and bad. And whether that be carbs, you know, good carbs versus bad carbs, or even just movement, you know, a good exercise versus a bad exercise, you know, you can go on Instagram all day and see those green check marks and, you know, um, red X's, Um, you know, people don't understand that, you know, it's much more complex than that. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, you can't just put something in a bucket that's good or bad. You have to kind of understand that, you know, there are certain things that might work better for people like an exercise, or it might just be the fact that good and bad carbs might be even be, I guess, even the same for movement. It might be something that, you know, like who made that up, you know, who said that that was a good carb or a bad carb or a good exercise or a bad exercise. Like, I think they have their place, you know, at at, at certain given times, you know, when it comes to nutrition, you know, there might be times like, you know, pre and post workout where you might want, you know, one of those quote unquote bad carbs, because that's going to help you recover. Um, and there are certain movements that, you know, I deal with it all the time that people say, Oh no, like, no, that's bad for my shoulder X body part. Um, 
So that, you know, I think is something else that's, you know, similar between kind of the fields that we work with. Um, and, you know, we've been chatting for, for a while now, but I think, you know, one is that I'm definitely going to have to have you back on. Cause there's a lot of things that, um, that we didn't even get to point today, but I think maybe one of the last things that I, I want to touch on with you is because we, in my field as well, you know, I think that nutrition can definitely play a role, especially in, you know, the, the work, the country and the world that we live in where, you know, obesity is, is such a problem. And, you know, there are so many things as far as with, you know, with metabolic syndrome and kind of the, you know, state of your body that I can put you in that maybe predisposes you to, to certain things down the line where, you know, sometimes I don't know kind of where my places to kind of enter or, or not enter as far as, you know, what's in the scope of my practice. Um, and, you know, something that I don't think a lot of people are, are, are aware of are, you know, maybe if you can go into kind of what differentiates maybe what you do as far as a, as a nutrition coach from someone who, you know, has uh, their title as a registered dietitian or, you know, just labels himself as a nutritionist, if you can go into that a little bit, because I think a lot of people um, just aren't aware of the differences there. Sure. Um, this is a good question. And it's, it's something that a lot of people actually aren't aware of. Um, so it differs state to state, right? Much like laws do concerning everything, the laws surrounding scope of practice for nutrition coaches and dietitians and nutritionists differs state to state. Um, I'm most familiar with Connecticut because that's where I am. Um, and one kind of frustrating but interesting thing about Connecticut is they don't have nutritionists. Um, there's no label for nutritionists uh, in the state, even though schools, you kind of just implemented a really awesome nutrition program. Um, there's no place for nutritionists kind of in this, this state. So what they do allow for though, is a registered dietitian. Um, and these people compete, complete their degree, you know, in, as a registered dietitian, and they do a lot of vigorous internship work. Um, however, I have actually, I have various registered dietitians as my own clients because their background and their education is very clinical in nature. Um, they spend a lot of time working with special populations um, and people that I can't or don't feel comfortable working with. Um, you know, example, Crohn's disease, Crohn's disease uh, diabetes, things that require very specific um, diets and prescriptions that I, you know, I is outside of kind of my scope of practice. These people are more apt in a clinical setting um, even pediatrics is one thing I kind of forgot to, to mention is, you know, they work with these special populations that I don't work with. Um, but you can, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, any person can get certified as a nutrition coach. You just go online, you pay some money and you can get certified within you know, a couple months. Um, so, you know, that's great because we all have access to this information, but the downside is you have to make sure you know who you're working with when it comes to a nutrition coach. Um, one thing you should know if you start working with a nutrition coach, they can't give you a prescription of specific food. They can't write you a meal plan. That's something preserved for a dietitian. So if your nutrition coach is telling you eat three egg whites and, you know, 14 grams of nuts at breakfast, that's usually a red flag that they're outside of their scope of practice. Um, that's something reserved only for a registered dietitian. Nutrition coaches can, however, you know, work with you on weight loss techniques, behavior changes. They can give you macro prescriptions. Um, they can work with you on different types of diets that we haven't really talked about. 
Um, and they can kind of put this stuff all into practice, but you definitely want to know where their certifications are coming from. There's a lot of good ones. Um, my favorites are precision. Obviously, I, that's one I went after. Um, Working Against Gravity has a really, really amazing uh, continuing education course, but they also have a coaching certification. Integrative Nutrition has a really great course. These are pretty thorough, a couple months of work, uh, a lot of testing. Uh, NASM has another great one. So you want to check um, what they're certified in and how they got that certification. But really the big thing that it comes down to at the end of the day with like most professions is you want to look at their experience. Look at you know, before and afters of people they actually have treated that you may know, not just ones they pulled offline. Look at how often they've been working with people, if they worked with anyone you know, and how do they know your specific population? Much like we talked about with the PT, do they know your sport? Do they know your training? Do they know your goals and understand that? Um, so that's just kind of really quick uh, breakdown between a nutritionist, certified dietitian, and a nutrition coach. I think that, you know, even for me, there's a lot of things that I didn't necessarily um, know about that as well. So I, I think, you know, that's really helpful um, for just, you know, anyone that's listening to here, but just the general population, um, because I think there's a lot of, um, you know, unawareness of just of what those, you know, specific um, titles, you know, do specifically and who they work with. Um, you know, I think you brought up a good point with knowing someone that, you know, has, you know, the proper, you know, that's gone through the proper training and has, you know, knows your, your population well, as far as, you know, if you're someone that does CrossFit or is a weightlifter, um, you know, maybe I think to, to wrap it up, I would say like, if you can just kind of say how, you know, you stay up to date with kind of all of the science that's involved in nutrition and, you know, much like rehab and, and fitness, I feel like there's, you know, you read one thing and it says this, and then you read the other thing that says the complete opposite. So how do you kind of go about sifting through all of, all of that information so that you kind of stay up on your game for your clients and for yourself? Sure. So, um, I think the really cool thing right now is there's a whole lot of information at our fingertips or just in our phone. And I have constant access to information all day long. Um, you know, you taught me to listen to podcasts every time I'm driving in my car because I, had a list about five pages long of podcasts I wanted to listen to and wasn't getting to. Um, so I'm constantly trying to take in information uh, and knowing that there's a lot out there that I haven't even touched on yet. And so I love my podcast right now. Um, Brute Strength is really the podcast that got me into loving podcasts because um, he just offered so much information on everything from CrossFit to weightlifting to nutrition. Um, and then obviously his wife, Adi, started working against gravity. Um, and they have a great podcast on not just nutrition, but being a nutrition coach, um, on just being, you know, a well-rounded person on life, on relationships. Um, but also, as I kind of mentioned earlier in the beginning of the podcast, I've gone down different roads with kind of emotion management and those things. So I've even listened to a lot of podcasts by like Brene Brown, who became famous after her Netflix special um, on kind of managing emotions and how vulnerability and courage, all, all of those things play into everything, including your nutrition. So um, I definitely take in all the, all the podcasts on all the topics I can. Um, I do continue updating my certifications. Like I said, I did precision nutrition, so I didn't need another nutrition certification to do what I do, but I went back and got one anyway because there's so much more information out there 
that I still haven't touched on. Um, and the cool thing, like I said, about working against gravity is they have this continuing education program where they can work through, they can provide me up-to-date stuff on menopause, competitive athletes, keto, um, all this stuff that I don't have access to otherwise. And, you know, I just, like I just mentioned keto is, and, and that's kind of particular to my continuing education is because I don't just limit my education um, to the things that I like and I agree with, which is probably the hardest thing I do. Um, there was one point when I was absolutely against keto with every bone in my body. And so I went and listened to an entire podcast, months and months of podcasts on keto, because I think it was important for me to study the things I don't agree with um, and understand why people are using it. Clearly there's something there. So I think the important thing with staying up to date on science and something I would kind of recommend for everyone is you don't know what you don't know is the famous quote. And it's so true because if you just look at what you know and what you like, you're always going to kind of be in your little echo chamber and hearing people preach what you know and what you like. And if you push yourself kind of outside that, you're going to just take in so much more. I have a client currently on keto because I gave it a chance and I understand a little bit more about it. And now I am able to implement it for the people that it's appropriate for. So I think um, that's the biggest thing is, you know, I, I keep accessing the information and I make sure I don't limit myself just by what I want to hear. Um, it's, it's what is out there. And I try and get a little piece of everything that's out there right now. Yeah. I think, you know, throughout this, this conversation, um, you know, I think what's been more evident to me is probably why we get along so well, because I think we share a lot of the same similar philosophies with, you know, just kind of always continuing to learn more. And it's not getting new certifications because you're trying to add more alphabet soup to your name. It's because you're constantly trying to seek out new knowledge and not just knowledge that confirms your biases, but, you know, knowledge that almost goes against kind of what you, you, you hold strongly. And I think that's super important as well. And something that I tried to do and, and not just, you know, kind of be so set in my ways and kind of always open to new information. Um, because I think, you know, in regards to what we, we both do, you know, being kind of science related fields that there's constantly changing information. And if the, the research comes out to, to, you know, enough to change my practice, then I'm absolutely open to that. And I'm not just going to find an article on, on something and just, you know, turn my back to it because it's against what I believe. Um, so I think that's, that's absolutely awesome to hear that, that you continuously, you know, not only just seek new information, but continue to challenge your own biases as well. Um, you know, like I said, you know, I think there was a whole lot of things that we wanted to touch on today that, we didn't even get to. Um, so I'm definitely going to have to have you back on because, you know, we didn't even touch on, you know, which diet is the best for you. Right. Um, you know, do I do keto? Do I, do I count my macros? Do I just drink detox teas? Like what, what do I do? Right. So I think we'll definitely have to have you back on to talk about, you know, maybe why, you know, or how all of those work. Um, and then, you know, talk maybe more specifically about some, some other things. Um, because I, I think there's a whole lot of stuff that, that we can talk about some more. Um, but definitely, you know, thank you for, for hopping on, um, today. And I really appreciate your time, especially on your birthday. Um, so that was awesome of you. Absolutely. It was my pleasure. It was a lot of fun. I love talking about this stuff, so I'll do it anytime. All right. Awesome. Good. I'm holding you to that.
All right. Yeah. All right, everyone. Well, thank you all again for listening to today's episode of Mic Check. Uh, be sure if you haven't already to subscribe on whatever platform you're listening with so that you can keep up with all the content I'm continuing to put out. Um, but until next time, guys. <laughs>